Welcome to episode number 46 of the Road to Cinema podcast, featuring a press conference from the new film Grandma, featuring Oscar-nominated actress Lily Tomlin, actor Sam Elliott, and the writer and director of the film, the Oscar-nominated Paul Weitz. Grandma is a comedy that premiered at the Sundance Film Festival earlier this year and debuts in theaters in New York and Los Angeles on August 21st. Taking place over the course of 24 hours, Grandma is a comedy that stars the hilarious Lily Tomlin as Elle Reed, a writer that begins her day with a breakup from her recent girlfriend, played by Judy Greer, who then has to contend with her granddaughter Sage, who's struggling to find money for an abortion. Following the press conference with actress Lily Tomlin, actor Sam Elliott, and writer-director Paul Weitz, you'll hear my one-on-one interview with writer-director Paul Weitz as we discuss his writing process and the day-to-day realities of being a director on set. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch our Road to Cinema YouTube series, please visit jogroadproductions.com. And once again, the final draft screenwriting software giveaway is continuing. All you'll have to do is follow us on Twitter, Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe to our Jog Road Productions YouTube channel, and write us a nice review on the iTunes podcast page for the Road to Cinema podcast. If you do all of the above, you'll be entered into a contest to win a free download of the final draft screenwriting software brought to you by Road to Cinema and our friends at Final Draft. And now we take to the stage for the press conference for the new comedy Grandma, featuring Oscar-nominated actress Lily Tomlin, actor Sam Elliott, and the writer-director of the film, Paul Weitz. Hi, guys. I'm a big fan of you, all of you. Um, so for Lily and Paul, I just want to ask... Uh, uh, what conversations did you guys have prior to filming about creating the dynamics of the, this uh, lesbian relationship between uh, uh, Lily and Judy Greer? Because I think it rings true to a lot of fans. What kind of conversation did we have? Yeah. <coughs> we had a lot. <laughs> yeah. You could address that. Okay, sorry. Um, uh, well, okay, so basically I, I wrote the script with Lily, Lily's voice in it and I didn't tell her I was writing it. Um, and so then I, I asked her to lunch and I kind of sprung it on her. I said, I've written this thing for you here. Would you read it? And um, I, I felt <laughs> that uh, this movie, because it was the reason to do it was just for the love of it, essentially, um, on everyone's part. And it was going to be extremely important to Lily that everything feel uh, understandable and right, and I also knew that Lily had so much to tell me about the character, which is the case with every excellent actor, but in this case, there's so much of the character's experience that was I was just guessing at. Um, so in terms of uh, the relationship with Judy, um, I mean, that <laughs> uh, you somewhat define the relationship sometimes by talking about what it's not, but I remember um, Lily talking about a friend of hers who had gotten in a relationship with a fan, and Judy's a little bit of a fan in the movie. I think she's more than that, but. Oh, th- that's right, I uh, forgot. Yeah, he said that, she said to you, don't ever get in a relationship with a fan. Uh, and, and uh, uh, but also, so 
one fortuitous thing in terms of Judy is Judy's also <laughs> from uh, Detroit, I believe, and I, Judy's really fun and quirky, and I, I needed it to be somebody whose intelligence that Lily would respect, and I knew how smart Judy was, and I thought that would be something to trade upon. Um, we talked about what we didn't want the relationship to be, which was, uh, it, it really was very specific casting in terms of who uh, L had hooked up with. Um, we also, and I'll turn this over to Lily in a second, but, but one thing that Lily helped me with a lot was the relationship with the off-camera character of uh, Violet, who is her long-term love, and who I used just because I like her spirit. There's a friend of mine who's an amazing uh, young adult writer named Jacqueline Woodson, who's, I believe, won a National Book Award. Um, she was recently featured in an article about her with her and Jimmy Carter in the New York Times. I used her picture because I know Jackie's spirit and how sort of, uh, I felt that would be like a, would she, while you're not seeing that character in the movie, it's incredibly important. But when I first wrote that relationship, it was very idealized. It was only talking about positive, lovely stuff. And Lily said, well, if this is a real relationship, they would have fought, they would have had periods where they were on the outs. So Lily helped me put spin on everything, essentially. I'm so glad you reminded me about my girlfriend <laughs> yeah. and her uh, relationship. She would say things like, I'd look at her, she'd say, she's young, isn't she? She'd say about her girlfriend, because she's like really young, and I'd say, you know, she's pretty young. And my girlfriend would say, she wouldn't leave me alone. What could I do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that little scene in the car with Lily and Julia, <laughs> where <laughs> she says, you know, out of, you know, she's sent me this thing about my work, and I'm so uh, out of ego. I met with her, and then, and then she says the thing about, uh, She's written more in the last four months than she has in the five years prior to that, and that's what good sex will do to you. I love sort of how um, <laughs> how much the granddaughter is seeing of her grandmother without expecting <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Ask Lily. Now, this grandma is nothing like my grandma ever was, <laughs> unfortunately. But I was just wondering for you, um, what were you know, how did you kind of get into this character? How did you see her? You know, w did you think of somebody you knew as far as like kind of em embodying her? Where'd she come from? Well, I, I just, I think I, <coughs> I think Paul really did write it with me in mind. I felt like uh, I, d looking at it from the outside, I wouldn't have said that I was like Elle, but I think I must be a great deal like Elle. I just, because uh, it was so easy, it was so fluid, it was, it was so natural. Um, I mean, there are things you have to, you have to transpose yourself from something or some experience or some memory or some other person you know, but uh, it's, uh, it was terribly natural to me, and that was a blessing. We also had a lot of time, really, to, to sit down and go through it. And I know initially Lily said, well, this character's very angry a lot of the movie. And, um, and well, two things. She said she's very angry and she swears a lot. And she's meant to be literary, so why is she swearing so much? On the anger front, we kind of went through in every moment and said, okay, here's what she's angry about. And, you know, she has this line, I don't have an anger problem, I have an asshole problem. She's really standing up for her granddaughter and she's angry at that, her granddaughter's been put in this situation. She's also, I think, angry at various things and uses her anger to protect herself from her sorrow at, you know, at the loss of her loved one. Then in terms of swearing, it was quite funny to me because we did strip away some swearing, but then I will say, some people have asked like, whether there's been any improvisation on the set. 
we kind of improvised before getting to the set. Like I said, there was some swearing, I believe, that was not in the script that Lily then put back in uh, and, and, and added to. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, yeah. Um, like, I'm wondering for all of you, I love this movie. I thought it was so well Thank done, you. so intimate and insular. All of you have had experiences making big blockbuster Hollywood movies and stuff. Um, with this being the scale of what it is, did you find it more creatively freeing a process to form your character, to set the scenes? Yeah, and it's not, and things are not played for, you know, like there'd be a lot of emphasis on uh, in, a, in a, a big studio movie, getting the moment, getting the joke or getting the humor or something that would be, it'd be too contrived, like worked out. And, uh, and this was, yeah, this is much more freeing, much more, it was so freeing that I didn't even realize how funny it was till I saw it with an audience. Yeah. It was very weird the first time we saw it, all of us was <coughs> in front of 1,100, 1,200 people in, at the closing night at Sundance. And I certainly had no idea how it was going to play or that it really? was play weirdly in some ways similar going back to an utterly different movie to American Pie. I mean, there's moments that it felt like that was the, what it was in that moment similar to. Sam, <laughs> sorry, man. Um, I mean, in I terms of it, didn't know, say anything. the budget aspect of it, or um, yeah, I, f I find it completely freeing to work in an independent film. I mean, something shot in 19 days for six hundred thousand dollars, and be unencumbered by everything that comes with those big blockbuster type films. A lot of waste and a lot of bullshit, and you know, a lot of personalities to satisfy. I find this independent thing is everybody's there, they're all on the same page, everybody's excited, and everybody's having fun, and everybody wants to make a good film. You know, pretty simple. For me, um, I knew that I didn't want to shoot anything that wasn't going to end up in the movie, because on that kind of schedule, you really can't afford to do that. That was really freeing for me, because I think sometimes when you have a bit more of a budget, you might do certain things to see if they're going to work or not. And then sometimes the sort of thing that I find a little tragic is you can have a scene that the actor has done which absolutely worked, like the, the actor killed it. But then you get some pressure not to have the movie be too long or something, or for some overall sake of the film, supposedly you end up cutting stuff, which is lovely. In this case, it was, um, it was very spare and almost, uh, I don't want to well, tiny bit zen in terms of um, no wasted effort. Um, and also, it was so clear that what the actors do is irreducible. There's, you know, acting and, and writing are sort of budget doesn't affect those in any in any way. Thanks. Again, as I mentioned, all of you at LA Film Festival, amazing. Oh, thank you. And I want your car, Lily. I want the car. <laughs> <laughs> you do. But I've got to ask Sam. You have said many times in the past, if you've got three good scenes in a script, it's worth considering and maybe worth doing. You have one scene here that is the most explosive scene in the film, and it really opens up the whole broader spectrum of the abortion issue that's being addressed between grandmother, mother, and granddaughter. What is your thought process when you see a script like that that opens up a discussion that we think is pre-formatted and then this comes out of nowhere and turns the film upside down and opens up the other side of the coin. Mm. 
I, I, I don't think it's the most explosive thing in the in the film, but I thank you for that. But and you give me way too much credit for having a thought process. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this thing was on the page. And when you have a chance to work with the two people sitting to my right, I mean, if you can't get something out of that, then you just should go home. You know, I got on the set. I was ready to work. I had that script in my head. It took me a long time. It always takes me a long time to get it in there because I like to. I think it's important for an actor to be true to a good script. You know, it's his words, and then I get to interpret his words. And when I met Lily, I'd you know I'd, I'd had a brief encounter with Lily, one time, socially, and I've loved her forever. And when we got together on the set, it just we connected. And we and we also shot it in sequence, which is always a, a great blessing. And it just it just rolled. It just got bigger and bigger and more and more dynamic in, in some way. But I just attribute it to great acting and across the, you know, across the stage and generous acting and a great piece of material. Lily, you've played so many different kinds of characters in your career, and I think this is one of the few times you've actually gotten to play a gay woman. So I'm wondering what this means to you to have this written for you in this way. Well, um, I don't, do you think you wrote it because I'm gay? No, I didn't. Um, I just think that. That I'm irascible. You know, I did say, I remember seeing in an interview that I wrote, I played so many different kinds of characters. I guess it, it was good that I turned to playing myself or mm -hmm. someone like myself. I, I guess um, <clears throat> I'm certain I played. Well, in the search, I, there's a gay character in the search. I played her, um, but yes, and this character is very much like me. I mean, you know, physically, just every way in terms of her, her youthfulness in her body. I mean, she's, you know, she's not stunted in any way from her from the years she's lived. And, um, and I drove my own car and I wore my own clothes, and so it was quite a bit close to me. I, thought I it was think it was great. I said, I guess, I think I said in that interview, uh, I, I guess it's about time I turned to playing myself or something like that. I think it's, you know, the, the one interesting aspect of the character, uh, really, I, I like the idea of calling it grandma because that comes with various associations about sort of a sweet, you know, maybe ineffectual person. And that's such hogwash now when you look at sort of what people of a certain generation, sort of the, the amount of history they lived through and the amount of sort of social turmoil. Um, I thought it was interesting in terms of the specificity of the character that this was a character who, unlike Lily, had a really long-term relationship but had lost that person two or three years before. And if they had, who knows whether they would have chosen to or not, but if they had chosen to take advantage of the legal opportunity to get married, they wouldn't have had that opportunity. They didn't have that opportunity because of just timing. Um, I thought it was re what I was most interested in was this idea of um, different generations of women, and how at this point so much has potentially been forgotten by the by this 18-year-old. You know, it's natural to her to have her friends, quote unquote, jokingly call each other bitch, hoe, and slut. 
and that's something that Larry's character in the movie says, I don't want to hear you use that word, and what kind of friends are these? Um, I was really interested in how much um, Lily's character had seen, and also the idea that this is not a movie where the characters who are uh, in their 70s, like they have a lot of life to live, and <laughs> they're still learning stuff, and they're still um, extremely vital, and uh, it was not trading upon, I was very keen not to have any implication that this was any sort of, um, swan song for the character. There's lovely movies about people who are, um, uh, don't have much time left, but that was not what I wanted here. I wanted it to be somebody hardcore, and both Lily's character and Sam's character are hardcore. I must say, I, I don't think the picture would be, if, if Paul hadn't been able to cast so many good actors, uh, the picture, none of us would have looked so good but because every role is just so well wrought and, and well acted, it just is a blessing. You know, it's one of those lucky things that happens in your, in your career. You don't plan for it at all. Yeah. Uh, once you have this covered frame line and outsides back to back, I have lesbian films on the brain. <laughs> and when I was watching this, I kept thinking, Major character is a lesbian, the relationships are lesbian, but this is a film about people. It's so universal, I'll take my mom to it. And since you were the narrator 20 years ago of the celluloid closet, what are your thoughts on what this kind of matter of fact sexuality means? Well, I think it's, it's extraordinarily wonderful that a, a big deal isn't made out of her sexuality, that she's just another person. And, I, and I'm so glad to hear you say that it plays universally. And from all I've experienced, I would think that too, but you never know. Uh, it could be I'm just meeting a bunch of hip people. <laughs> 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 and so, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, I, I hadn't even thought about that connection and Vito was a good friend of mine. So it's nice, it's good. I just wanted to ask, um, There'll be more of it. Oh. I'm sorry. No I worries. said there'll be more of it in this life. Mm -hmm. um, the film deals a lot with abortion and not as something that's shameful or something that needs to be sort of looked at as a really, like a, obviously it's, it's a serious experience, but it's looked at as a viable option, which oftentimes in pregnancy films, it's looked at as the absolute worst. And so I wanted to, touch upon, ask all three of you, because all your characters and your work has to do with that, and what, um, how you approached it in a way that's more sort of progressive and liberating. Um, it wasn't particularly conscious to have that be an issue or to have this be an issue film at all. It was literally when I sat down and the story started coming to me, that 18-year-old character showed up, and that was the situation she was in. She's pregnant, and she made the decision to schedule an abortion later in the day. Um, from that point on, um, I don't want to give away anything in terms of the movie, but, but like, obviously there are movies like Juno, et cetera, where, you know, different, where, where decisions are made, and I know that an audience might be thinking along certain, certain lines. Um, for me, it was very important to not make light of anything. So early on, Lily's character says, have you thought about this? Because it's something that you'll think about at some point every day for the rest of your life. And, uh... I think that it's very easy to lose track of um, the human beings in stories that, are, that bear upon social issues. 
and to turn people into statistics. I also was purposeful the idea that like Lily's character when she was very young might have had different, you know, that women <laughs> uh, who have <laughs> been around a while, long enough to uh, have been around when there wasn't the viability of a legal abortion, it didn't mean that people weren't having abortions. It meant that uh, they were extremely dangerous. Um, I, it's really tricky to talk about, uh, but I do think that I'm interested in films about our society that are personal films, whether it be Kramer versus Kramer or The Graduate or something, something that's a, where there's a societal issue or shift taking place, but you can see it played out. But it was really just about the people involved. Um, so th that was my perspective. It was not trying to have a polemic or, or have it an issue film, but also not to uh, sell out something. Hi, um, terrific movie. I really enjoyed it a lot. And uh, Paul Frio is wondering, um, when you come to uh, when it comes to writing a screenplay, do you write it with just an idea and not knowing how it's going to end, or do you have like a three act structure in mind when you write a script? And also, Sam. How do you manage to keep your voice so deep and bold after all these years? <laughs> <laughs> and can we hear your real voice? Sorry. <laughs> it's a falsetto. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, well, I don't know. It's just, it, keep, uh, it actually gets deeper as time goes <laughs> by, which, which, which makes sense. I don't know. I've, you know, I've been blessed with it, I guess. I, uh, I sang very early on. My mom used to drag me to sing in a cherub choir when I was a kid. And I was always involved in these different choruses, a cappella choruses, and different things when I was a kid, all the way through school. And, you know, this fortunate, good fortune, as it turned out. I don't know, it's not a matter of management, it's just gravity. Or something. I don't know. Um, in terms of the script, I, I do think it's a good sign for me when I kind of know what the ending is. Um, to me, really, the ending of this is, you know, it's very clear that Sage, Julia's character, is learning so much from Lily's character in the movie, learning how to stand up for herself, learning not to shy away from a fight. Um, and it's not clear to me what Lily has gained from this, or Lily's character, I should say, has gained from this until the end when this sort of fierce um, love that she's had uh, uh, for her dead partner, um, she's able to let go of it without guilt because she's been exhibited so much protectiveness and kindness to her granddaughter. So I loved that Lily makes this choice in the end of the film when she is sort of, the most emotional thing in the movie to me is not a moment where Lily is crying, it's actually a moment where she's laughing. She's thinking about some old joke that her you know, partner said and she said, you really made me laugh. It's a very private moment, and I, I really like that. And I like that it's about um, uh, letting go of stuff and moving on to something with a degree of optimism in spite of all the crap that one sees in human nature. Um, for Lily and Sam, I was wondering, after playing so many different roles throughout the years as you continue, do you feel like you continue to develop a stronger and more emotional connection to your characters that makes a really strong outcome afterwards? <laughs> Who, me? Who, me? <coughs> Only if you want me to go first, I'll go first. You go first. You can mull it over. I'd like the rabbit to go first. Yeah. <laughs> the rabbit. Mm. 
I think what makes it easy to make a connection and a strong emotional connection, I think you said, with a character is what's on the page. If it ain't on the page, man, it's not there. You know, it's, uh, certainly over the years, you've honed your craft supposedly, and you know you have a, a, an easier access to the tools at hand. You know, and know how to wield them a little better, maybe. But man, you got to have it on the page. You know, and this thing was just there. It was there in spades. It was easy to make an um, emotional connection to this wingnut Carl. <laughs> you know, I mean, there were things about Carl that I, I think, or that I share personally, and there were things about him that it was just totally. I mean, the fact that he had umpteen kids and grandchildren and children, I just that's so far away from me. I mean, I can't imagine, can't fathom that one. And what was the question again? Um, do you feel like after playing so many roles, you continue? Oh. Well, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm sure it, it's true. I mean, it, pass, it happens so incrementally. I don't know that you're even conscious of it or aware of it. I, I mean, I got nominated for my first role, Nashville. I've never been nominated since. And uh, that was my first movie, period. So I, I don't know, I think, I think, and I think Sam probably, I mean, all the movies I've seen him in, I, he, when he was younger and so on. I, th I think, uh, the I think the, the instinct is there in most actors, but it has to be, uh, I agree with Sam, that it has to be on the page. Paul, I wanted to ask you uh, if you could tell about working with, talk about working with Elizabeth Pena and if that ended up being your last role and did you both know it at the time? Um, certainly I had no inkling that she was going to pass away. Um, she was completely full of uh, laughs and it was her idea that in the middle of this confrontation she would jump over the register that's separating her from Lily and, uh, <laughs> you know, Lily's character in the middle of this gives her the worst insult for feminists, so she calls her a silverback male gorilla. <laughs> and, and so Elizabeth sort of wanted to do it as if she was a gorilla and hop over this <laughs> counter. Um, she was so excited about her costume, uh, about what she was going to look like. Um, and uh, it was certainly a shock, um, unanticipated. Uh, and I feel really blessed that, as with so many of the roles in this, it was just a momentary sort of okay, who would be really exciting in this, and then sent them the script, and they and they jumped in. I think largely uh, because of you know working with Lily on this stuff, um, but also to have fun, and she was a hell of a lot of fun on set. I don't know if this is gonna is this is her last role or or, or if there's another film coming out after this, but um, I'd been a fan of hers for such a long time from the John Sayles films, etc. And uh, so yeah, it was certainly an honor to have her. Julia, who's yeah. very much your equal in this movie. Oh, as she's well. so wonderful. Can we talked a little bit about her. Where did you find her? Where did you see her? How did she come to this role? And what was it like working with her for you, Julia? Oh, I, I just fell in love with Julia. We became great friends, and right away we bonded. We, when when uh, Paul brought her to my office, she was in town, and uh, 
And I said, make sure she knows it doesn't depend on, I want, didn't want her to feel like because she was coming to meet me that I was gonna say, well, no, I don't think I like her that much. <laughs> you know, and she was so, uh, I said, make sure she knows she's got the role. <laughs> that we're kind of having her meet me for the opposite reason, you know, and uh, because I didn't want her in any way to feel discounted or second-guessed or anything like that. I knew she was wonderful. And when I saw the uh, pictures of her in the other movies, that she, the other small movies she's done, she's just a natural. She's just wonderful. She's just, it, and also ev everything, I can't impre Im impress enough on, on Paul and on you all that it, it depends on Paul, the people coming in. When he told me that Sam was gonna play my ex-husband and Marcia Gay would play my daughter, <laughs> I was just flabbergasted. I thought it's just fab, and it's a testament to him, really. I remember when I told you about Marcia, <laughs> you, you said, that's just peachy or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, just like Grandma would. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Julia is so atypical. Um, she's completely counter to the thought of sort of an ambitious young actor. Um, even in terms of her look, she's so sort of 1930s, like Jean Harlow or, or something. Um, and I knew that Lily's character was gonna have her foot on the gas so much that I needed somebody who was inherently interesting and inherently seemed like they had a lot going on. And then also the main thing was that Lily was comfortable of her and I bought her being protective of her despite that character's callowness. So she was she was great. And also she's one of these people who really doesn't, almost really at this point can't manufacture a false beat, uh, which is fun to direct, but it also means you can't fake it, you know? Um, uh, she's very um, instinctive. Based on you directing and writing the strong singular approach and the actors and actresses being so strong, I really went into this film with high hopes that were exceeded. And I'm- I know where you're going with that, good. <laughs> I'm a therapist by day, but I write about n film from a therapeutic point of view. So what I was really impressed by was all this anger that didn't just become like a one note and modulant, but it really got to the hurt underneath the anger, the kind of the motivating hurts. And I just was hoping maybe you could speak a little bit more about that. Did, did you really have to um, stretch, for, stretch for that? Because it would be so easy just to play it angry and flat in a way. Well, I, I just, uh, I have, I, I'm quite thrilled that you imbue me with that kind of complexity of performance, I can't, I can't, I can't own it. I think I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know, I, he must have done it. That's all I can say. It's such a paradox in a way that you all came whole through all this anger and that it was still so rich. Yeah, I mean, the person who's somewhat left with their anger is Sam's character. Um, and I think anger, you know, um, I think <laughs> you need to keep wind in your sails when you're dealing with something bigger than you are. And I grew up around some pretty mammoth anger, but from uh, my dad, who was a product of World War II, and, um, and, uh, but he was always trying not to hurt anybody else. And um, I think that, uh, 
Lily's character is driven by this anger because she has this sorrow beneath her. And um, at the end, it takes, you know, sort of her generosity of spirit with the granddaughter to be alone. It's really, it was really important to me that Lily be alone at the end of the movie, that Elle be alone at the end of the movie, and then have to deal with the rest of it. <laughs> um, and I, I do think that, like, you know, it is funny because very much on the surface of it, there is an issue in this movie, a, a cultural issue. But to me, the issue was a pure human one of how do you move on from sorrow and um, and take steps forward and how hard that is. And I think that there's tools that we use to avoid that. One of them is humor, one of them is anger. Sam's character seems to have been nursing his sorrow, <laughs> you know, for a long time. And, uh, you know, seems to still be in love on some level with, you know, with Lily's character. Um, and there's some really dark stuff in it. Uh, uh, but uh, so to me, that's actually what the movie's about, <laughs> um, with anger as like a step as opposed to an end product, essentially. I have a question about the end, actually. Was there um, or an underlying statement that you kind of wanted the audience to know or think about for what would happen next for um, Lily? Oh, well. She's walking off by herself. The well, she says, "I want to get home to write," and and um, I think I think Lily's uh, Elle's character is um, she's lived long enough to know that that in terms of this relationship, it's it's really she could be she could be selfishly you know take the girl into her life and. But she knows that it's not really uh, a relationship of equals and that it probably will end badly at another time and uh, she'll take precious time away from that girl. Um, and I think she's just, she's gonna go the next night to pizza at her daughter's and they may not hit it off that great. I mean, it might not be natural or easy. There's gonna be but if she shows up for pizza, that's a win. <laughs> <laughs> I think some. I think when people live long enough, they, and that they have enough sensitivity, they're so aware of their own mortality, that all that stuff they still have fl flights of anger and whatever. But they, uh, it's mostly against inequity or injustice or, um, unless they're not aware of yep. their mortality, and then it might still be ego driven or yeah. um, <coughs> I, th I think you want to uh, you want to make everything you you, you want to make things easier for for yourself and for everybody else in some way it's it's I can I, I guess I'm not cooking with Crisco. <laughs> the, the, the poet Eileen Miles, who was quoted at the beginning of the movie, um, she saw it in New York, and uh, she's really terrific and entertaining and um, <laughs> existential poet. Um, but she s afterwards said, oh, I like that she was walking off like a gunslinger at the end of the movie. <laughs> you know, there was a little bit of Shane to it or something. Um, you know, there's... I really like that, you know, it was on purpose that the last words she kind of says are son of a bitch, you know, she, she's <laughs> this kind of rueful. Um, and, uh, 
uh, I, I, yeah, I, I like that. And that shot was kind of in my head from the, from the get-go. All right, you guys, we have one time for one more quick question. Um, one thing that I think makes the film work so well is the, uh, the use of costumes and locations to tell the characters who their backgrounds are. So immediately, in a very short amount of time, you understand Sam's character, Lily's character, even like the minivan sequence, you know all those characters who they are. I was wondering if you could talk about, was that something that you wrote and had from the very beginning, or is it something that the production designer involved, or the actors? Um, well, actually, it's a pri I do think that one of the jobs of the director is to be prepared enough to let go of your preconceptions and then to cast things well enough that those people are going to know m a lot more about the character than you do. We were talking earlier, Sam and I, about how initially in the script his character was a biker and had a ponytail. And so Sam, being incredibly gracious, <laughs> when we first talked, said, all right, I know this is a low-budget film, and it says he's got a ponytail, and my hair is really short, so I'm going to pay myself to have a wig made. Um, and he's going to have this wig maker and pay out of his pocket to, to have, you know, to have it done properly. And I said, Sam, I don't care if the character has a ponytail. <laughs> I don't, and and uh, Sam came up with this very specific thing, and it's, it's a really small touch, but on the day, um, his, one of his jeans is not tucked in properly. And uh, it shows that this guy, <laughs> shows something about this guy. Um, he is being caught at some point where he's alone <laughs> and, um, and we're just Lily calling him up out of the blue, stirring up stuff. And I think the interesting thing is that that scene might not happen if Lily doesn't say certain things. It would be an uncomfortable interaction but not an explosive one as somebody termed it. Um, and I think Lily, on her part, I mean, it was it was kind of marvelous because it's over the course of one day, so uh, costume continuity is very easy. Um, uh, I think that that's something that the actor utterly has to own as costume because they're feeling it and it's affecting their performance. And now stay tuned for my one-on-one -on -one interview with the Oscar-nominated writer-director Paul Weitz. Paul Weitz received an Oscar nomination alongside his brother Chris Weitz for adapting the novel About a Boy, which starred Hugh Grant, and which the brothers also co-directed. Paul Weitz and Chris Weitz co-wrote and co-directed the first installment in the American Pie trilogy. They were also the credited writers on the DreamWorks animation film Ants, which starred the voice of Woody Allen. Paul Weitz himself is the writer-director behind the film In Good Company, which starred Topher Grace, Dennis Quaid, and Scarlett Johansson, which I highly recommend. It's a great character piece and a tremendous comedy. Paul Weitz is also the director behind the third installment in the Meet the Parents trilogy, Little Fockers, which featured Robert De Niro, Ben Stiller, and an all-star cast. And most recently, Admission, which featured Paul Rudd and Tina Fey, as well as Lily Tomlin who, as we'll learn in this interview, was the inspiration behind creating the character of Elle in Grandma. And Paul is also one of the producers behind the Amazon original series Mozart in the Jungle. So now join us in a conversation with the writer and director of Grandma, Paul Weitz, as we discuss his writing process, as well as the day-to-day -day realities of being a director on set. I just wanted to start off by talking about the development of the script and how much of Lily's voice was really in the character of Elle when you were first working on it. Um, I don't think I would have written it without having met her and spent time with her. Uh, she 
played Tina Fey's mom in the movie called The Mission, which I did. And uh, um, obviously she's very funny, but she's also so perceptive and, um, and edgy. Um, and she was sort of crackling <laughs> with energy. And after that film, I was like, man, I was like, it'd be so great to do something where she was driving the movie and where she was in every scene. And I had this idea and I sat down and when, when that movie, Mission came out, I was quite freaked out because I think for one thing, like I, I was going from movie to movie before that. And it was rare that I had a movie come out where I wasn't on the set of something else. And when you're on the set of something else, you know how to think about it, you know? But uh, I was, I really felt uh, down <laughs> because aside from how the movie was doing or not, um, it ended up doing okay. Um, uh, just that feeling of powerlessness and lack of meaning um, uh, was really striking me. And uh, so to sort of pull myself out of this self-imposed tailspin, um, I sat down with a, this lovely little notebook I had and started writing this thing longhand. And I heard Lily's voice in my head. And it just, the moment that happened, this character started to act and, and uh, do the work for me. Um, and so I wrote it and I purposely didn't tell her I was doing this that I was writing something for her because most actors honestly like they're not going to go like great I'm in <laughs> you know they're going to go uh oh <laughs> like um <laughs> what do you mean you're writing something for me what if I don't like it so I finished it and then I then I called her up and asked her to lunch and she probably thought I was going to talk to her about admission or something but I said okay here's why I want to lunch with you. I've written something for you and look in-house, she has a really wonderful writer, Jane Wagner, who writes stuff, you know? Yeah. Who's Wrote a lot of her comedy specials exactly. uh, back in the day. Yeah, so I felt like the whole thing was, you know, it wasn't a given that she was going to do it. Um, uh, but, and then I got to, happily, I got to sit with her for months before we shot to kind of go through every beat and to top things and to, for me to just listen to her and, um, and work more and more on the character. So, um, it was a it was a great experience. Shooting it in 19 days, I believe, um, you know, it's so fast, and especially you have a lot of experience working on big studio films, which I'm sure double or triple that amount of time. So, do you really have to be decisive when you're on the set that day, and and how do you know that you're really making the right decision when time is moving so quickly? Yeah, well, I feel like it's always the case. You have to be super decisive on set. That's one of the things I like about directing, because I have a really hard time figuring out what to order on for lunch. You know, <laughs> um, so the idea that uh, you need to make decisions as the director, and it's sometimes more important that you make a decision than you make the exact right decision, is psychologically healthy to me. Um, the, in this case, the way that the film was lit by Toby Datum, um, he lit it so ambiently so that the actors could move wherever they wanted. Um, it allowed me, to, I really felt like I had as much time as I would on a much longer schedule. Um, I kept the script short. There wasn't a scene in there that didn't end up in the movie. There wasn't anything where I was like, oh, I'll take a flyer on this. I don't know if it'll work or not. I knew that I wasn't able to do that. So the script itself was you know, probably 85 pages or something. Um, and what I learned in the nine films I've made previous to this was what I didn't need. Um, it's actually the main thing that I feel like I bring <laughs> to bear uh, is uh, 
you know, if a plane flies over a take, I know exactly where the plane flew over and if I need that line in that take or if I have it in a different take. Um, I know uh, what shot I'm going to be in for the bulk of a scene or for a particular moment. Um, I know when I have to get something word perfect or I don't. So um, those are the things that I learned that allowed me to make this film. I didn't know going into it if I'd be capable of doing it. I was quite worried about it. I, I knew that I needed, I knew that I had just a shade over 500,000 to do it. Um, and by the way, like who cares? That's a hell of a lot more money than a lot of people have to make their movies. Um, uh, in this case, I also made the decision to crew up with people who had done low-budget films, not people who I'd worked with before I would ask to do a favor, but people whose work I like, like Toby Datum or uh, uh, the, the Pow Wow Girls, which is the sort of, uh, business name of uh, my two production designers, um, who had done Joss Whedon's Shakespeare adaptation. Yeah, which um, I think Joss Whedon shot in his house. Is yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I knew they weren't going to be freaked out at having a low budget and stuff. They were just worried about if I was going to be a freak, you know, because they knew I'd done a lot of studio films. Um, so I never felt rushed, weirdly. Yeah, did you go into every day sort of so prepared because you had worked with Lily on the script so much? It was sort of that second hand, like you could go through the scenes and you weren't really worried about is this being conveyed the way I really wanted to? Yeah, it just felt loose. And also, frankly, it's like, in terms of that acid of things, trying to get things the way you want, I don't believe in that, really. I believe that, like, um, if you want to have total control and have buttons being pushed in the exact way you want, then you should write a novel. Um, because it's a collaborative... I feel like, for me, like, I love writing plays and I love writing screenplays. Um, because it's going to be different once the actor's doing it, and I'm not going to know exactly what's going to happen. Um, so in this case, I was able to tailor stuff for Lily because I knew that's who was going to do it. I was going to do it with her. I wasn't going to do it at all. So I could write specifically to her vocal patterns. And going back to the first script that my brother and I had credit on was this movie Ants, which was starred Woody Allen, and we really tailored that to a specific part of Woody Allen's uh, filmography and persona. Um, so I was ahead of the game in that I'd spent time with her but also you know um, I was I feel like it's really important for me to be prepared enough to be loose so that stuff can happen and I can go with it yeah is it important uh, for you to sort of like let go with your crew and sort of say hey you have an element of contribution here you know it's not all me there's no question um, I, I think that um, I in my job as director, I look at myself as a part of the crew, and my role on the crew is to uh, keep an eye on an overall aesthetic, to create a good working environment for everybody, and to make decisions when they need to be made, if somebody has to make them usually. But I need everybody to feel creative on that set, and to feel excited to be at work, if, if at all possible. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, I was also wondering, too, um, your writing process. Do you like to outline? Do you like to sort of create character biographies? Is there a way that really helps you kind of get into the groove when you're writing on a daily basis? Yeah. Usually I take notes, which are whatever sort of thoughts are inspired by the idea. And then more often than not, I just put them aside and never think about them again because they actually don't have the legs to actually be a movie. Um, I do outline 
Um, but I think that can be really tricky too because sometimes the characters want to go a different direction than you want them to go and you got to leave your outline behind a little bit. Um, and uh, I do love that first draft. Boy, that's usually really fun, you know, <laughs> um, where it's just blank and you're, you're just playing with these characters. So you don't, um, I mean, some people write their first draft and they consider it almost like a vomit draft. They're just kind of getting everything out there that they can. But for you, do you feel that confidence in what you put down first on paper can ultimately even be your best product versus rewriting it? Sometimes it is the best product, and that's almost the scariest because um, you really wonder if you're just hurting stuff after a certain point. Usually it's not the best product, and but the thing is, like, for me, like, I suspend my disbelief when I'm writing. Like... I don't want to be hypercritical of myself because I know that if I start that, I'm not going to write anything. Um, after that, I shred this stuff usually. I mean, it just depends. Um, sometimes it comes clean off the bat, sometimes it doesn't. Um, this one was pretty clean, I think, because I had a lot of time to think about it ahead of time. But, but um, I mean, I'm also can be a compulsive rewriter and, you know, keep on and on and on rewriting stuff. It's probably drove my brother insane when we were writing together. <laughs> um, because, I mean, it's really hard to have any objectivity or to know what's right. But, um, so. I mean, when you're working with uh, with your brother Chris, did you have a sense, like, um, sort of was one person in charge of one particular aspect of the writing process versus the other? Or? We weren't really. We didn't divvy it up like that. We just divvied it up into sequences. Like, I'd do five pages, he'd do five pages. And that was after you knew what the structure of the yeah, piece Yeah, so we worked on the outline together. We, we beat out the outline together, and then we divvied stuff up. And then, uh, you know, uh, usually it's quite fun reading the other person's stuff because, you know, usually there's something really cool in it, you know, which I hadn't thought of or something. Yeah. I was always curious, your, your brother uh, and yourself worked together on so many films together, writing and directing. At one point, was it a conscious decision that you both wanted to veer off and make your own films? Yeah. The, the, the thing that was conscious was um, I, after About a Boy, I had this idea, uh, which ended up being the film Inga Company. I wanted to do another film of the exact same scope, you know, just a, bit, just a human comedy. And uh, Chris wanted to do an epic, and he ended up doing Golden Compass. And I was up for him doing Inga Company with me, and he was up for me doing Golden Compass with him, but the other person didn't want to do it. So we were kind of at this point where we are going to be telling the other guy, hey, you can't do this because I don't want to do it. And that seemed clearly to be really unhealthy. Um, so we just sort of like had each other's backs, but gave each other the confidence to go do stuff on our own. And luckily, we were able to, you know, able to do it and not have it. You know, it only made our friendship better, actually. Yeah. Um, for you, is there any difference from you know working on something that's so personal like Grandma and even In Good Company to going to a you know a big sort of studio directing assignment like Little Fockers, and you know sort of trying to execute somebody else's vision in a sense? Do you feel that you're almost like an employee and you're trying to sort of get out um, of what your bosses want in a way or yeah uh, I mean I think that I was kidding myself in that situation I knew I kind of knew what I was getting into in a certain way um, and there were various reasons at the time why I sort of why I did it <laughs> I knew I was going to do another I was desperate to do this other film with De Niro which he would have done anyway but still it was the same studio financing it which ended was up that being, being called Flynn? Being Flynn yeah. yeah, which I'm really proud of. I wish it had been called Another Bullshit Night in Suck City, which is the name of the book that it's based on. Um, 
I was really happy with that film. Unfortunately, not many people saw it in the theaters. Um, uh, nobody saw it in the theaters. Um, but that was one of the things that, <laughs> that made it make sense to Bill Fockers. I also genuinely at first thought I was going to be able to do something very different and have it be a meditation upon mortality, weirdly, Little Fockers. Um, that was, of course, naive. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, I learned the limits of my um, political skills on that movie. Um, and I felt really awful that I, I didn't make the best of that situation. Um, but uh, I learned a lot about um, I learned a lot about myself, and I've done you know three films and two or three plays since then. So it was okay. Um, then I got to work with some of my idols, like Dustin Hoffman or Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Um, what are you working on at the moment? Are you sort of steering into making more personal projects like Grandma? Yeah. The, uh, the other thing I'm working on simultaneously is a show called Mozart in the Jungle on Amazon, which is set in a classical, in, in, in an orchestra. And Gael Garcia Bernal plays the conductor of the orchestra, and Malcolm McDowell plays the outgoing conductor. And um, I'm learning a lot about classical music. Um, and that's really exciting, because there's two things that I am sort of draw from, one of which is independent film that I love, filmmakers like uh, Sean Baker or I don't even know if you call it independent it's more foreign film but um, Tangerine was uh, yeah. incredible it was awesome <laughs> so was Starlight um, yeah. and the, the filmmaker Joachim Trier the Norwegian filmmaker and the Dardenne brothers and stuff like that those people who are doing a certain kind of bare budget filmmaking is uh, low budget filmmaking is very exciting to me but I'm also love Hollywood studio filmmaking of a certain era sort of this strain going from Ernst Lubitsch to Billy Wilder and a different vein Preston Sturgis Mozart in the Jungle is like Ernst Lubitsch it's like this sort of light comedy that also has depth because it's about people who are obsessively working with their instruments um, so that's really fun for me 